I create this podcast to educate people about money, business, and investing. Uh, if you found it useful, I'll ask that you just share with as many people as you think will find the information useful and helpful. Um, I continue to pump out as many as I can. I've gotten some good feedback from people that have said, hey, you've helped educate me on money and investing. Um, so share it. Hope you enjoy this episode. I spend some time on this episode talking to BJ Van, CEO of Impact House, about venture capital, the tech scene in Dallas, how all that works, and how to close the gap in funding for startups for women and minority businesses. All right, I'm hanging out today with BJ Van, uh, CEO and founding partner uh, of Impact House. Um, he's also founder of Inclusive Capital, uh, an investment firm that, that basically invests in high growth companies. Um, so I appreciate you hanging out. Background, y'all, for, for, for BJ is whenever I need to figure out what's going on in the tech world and DFW, BJ is my go-to guy because I don't have a clue about that space. <laughs> And so I appreciate you coming on today. Hey, man, I halfway have a, a clue as well, but uh, <laughs> I definitely appreciate being on with you uh, today, man. And uh, as a fellow, you know, brother in the frat as well, it's always good to, uh, to see you, you know, out here achieving. So I'm glad we can, uh, we can hop on here and just and wrap a taste a little bit. So yes, sure yes, sir. Hey, and, and for all the, the alphas and the Qs and the sigmas out there, I know, I know y'all think that I'm uh, – doing this only for the newts but man I you know I looked at my network and was like hey who's out here doing things and I just so happened to keep bringing noobs on so y'all gotta step your game up. <laughs> right <laughs> step y'all game up <laughs> well um so how how'd you how'd you get involved in uh, entrepreneurship uh, business like um because you're all over the place doing a lot of things in, in, in DFW so I'm, I've always been curious you know how'd you get your start in entrepreneurship Man, so for me, it, it's, it's entrepreneurship is kind of like in the bloodline, you know. Um, I actually recently shared a, a photo that my aunt um, uh, sent to me probably about a couple months ago of my great great grandfather. He was one of the largest uh, landowners uh, in a in a small town in Kansas, and also um, earned, he also owned a, a factoring company. Um, a farming factory company. So they own like equipment, you know, where they would do the crops and all that. I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but, um, and a lot of that was uh, taken uh, by the federal government um, mm. back then, as you know, you know, with different things that would come up in the community uh, where black entrepreneurs would uh, literally lose everything, you know, their, their family, their homes, their assets, you know, everything they belong simply because they wanted to uh, create generational wealth or make a, make a better life for their family. So, for me, it's definitely uh, in the blood, <laughs> in the bloodline. And so, you know, having that opportunity of both, um, you know, uh, either in my family, either go two routes as entrepreneurship or clergy. You know, I have a lot of pastors <laughs> and, and ministers in my family, but then also have a lot of entrepreneurs and, and solopreneurs and, and company builders and enterprise builders. So it's definitely in my, in my blood to do more than one thing. 
Um, I can probably name 10 things that I watch. I grew up watching my dad, um, you know, do in the household. My mom as well. She was very entrepreneurial um, as well. And so, yeah, it, it kind of got started at a young age. I used to actually take my, uh, my dad's briefcase to school. Uh, when all the other kids would have backpacks, I would have a briefcase with my <laughs> papers in them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he'll probably tell you I used, I used to steal more than that from him. I used to take his watches, his rings, and, you know, he'll be like, man, I'm, I'm missing my watch. But then he'll look at a school picture and be like, is that my watch? Because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, got the, I got the watch on in the school picture, you know. Everybody used to call me, you know, Ben, the, the businessman van. Uh, I, I started my first business when I was 10 years old. Um, you know, what I like about entrepreneurship, it, it's really, um, it's really solving a problem. Um, and if you look at it, a lot of entrepreneurs and really their DNA, they're, they're natural problem solvers. And so for me at that time, as you know, you, you know, when you're growing up, uh, you, you, uh, you know, getting a, a haircut was an experience for us, right? <laughs> so growing up, you know, uh, a household of four, but a total family size of six, you know, kids, you know, hey, 10, 20, $15 a haircut is expensive, right? So we used to get the home cuts. You know, my dad would, you sit us in the bathroom on top of the mm-hmm. toilet, you know? Uh, but he would give us a chili bowl, man. Like no type of fade, no. Yep. <laughs> no yep. I have plenty of those. <laughs> you know, no lineup at all, just chili bowl. All right, next, you uh-huh. know? And so it, it got to the point where, you know, I stopped, I stopped wanting to get my head slapped. Uh, at school, you know, because it's just that skin part, you know, people, start <laughs> you know, when you had the chili bowl. And so I, we kind of got to a step where, we, you know, we were tired of getting chili bowls. So I made a couple of attempts to, to cut my own hair and, you know, nick myself a few times, uh, but I got better and better at it. Eventually, I started cutting my, my brother's hairs. And um, as I went to school, you know, I was an athlete, uh, played uh, college football, played uh, professional football as well in the AFL. And, you know, I was the team barber as well. And so at 10 years old, I started my, my first business. I was cutting hair. And then next thing you know, that was kind of like my, my first, you know, taste of entrepreneurship. And so, okay. uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got started. <laughs> now, now, I, I didn't know you played football. What position do you play? Yeah, I was a defensive back. Played okay. cornerback and uh, return. Okay. Hey, have you met, have you met Ron B. Bryant yet? Who's that? Ron B. Bryant. I have not. He, uh, uh, he, he played for the um, – um, for Green Bay, Romney uh, Bryant. But he, y'all, y'all play same same position. But Romney, you know, we run the same. So I got to introduce y'all. So y'all, y'all yeah, would, definitely. I would enjoy uh, connecting. So, so, um, so you started your own business early. So, so take us through. Uh, were, were you running businesses while you were playing professional uh, outside of um, the haircut? Yeah. So uh, in college, we used to, uh, you know, as I said, I was a barber as well in college. Um, studied finance. Um, but a, a friend and I, we started a, uh, a, uh, a party planning business. Um, we used to call it, I think it was called Famous Kid ENT or something like that. Uh, but, you know, we would, we would throw theme parties, you know, it would be toga parties or, uh, you know, after the football game parties and things like that. And so we always had a knack for uh, seeing where the problem was on campus um, and, and creating a solution for it. You know, I, I was very entrepreneurial in my college days. Um, even if it wasn't um, a money generating idea, you know, I was the founder of our uh, Washburn um, Gospel Choir um, as well and established our um, Washburn um, Finance Society as well. Uh, and so I was very involved in always just starting things from scratch, you know, like that was always my uh, my MO is, is seeing a need and creating a solution and, 
and uh, being able to articulate it to individuals to where they would want to get on board um, with the idea as well. So at an early age, I was always, you know, starting something new or doing something in school that I had other people following me and doing. So at a very young age, I was uh, kind of thrusted in, in different leadership positions. So. Okay. And how, how'd you end up forming Impact House? And go ahead and explain what Impact House is and what y'all do there. Yeah. So uh, Impact House is a nonprofit organization uh, with a mission to accelerate uh, and invest in all shades of genius. Um, and we do that through um, providing a support ecosystem for underrepresented women uh, and people of color. That's uh, black and Latinx uh, founders, as well as individuals who want to uh, pursue a tech career. And so we do that uh, really through three ways. That's inclusive entrepreneurship. That's through our uh, accelerator program, as well as our you know, workshops and labs. Um, through our uh, STEM career field and workforce development. Uh, that's connecting with our training partners um, who provide uh, computer science education and skill development, um, as well as impact investing. And so you mentioned at the beginning, Inclusive Capital. Um, this is actually uh, one of the newest ventures um, that I'll be announcing um, really soon publicly um, on, uh, you know, how do we create uh, or democratize capital and actually make it more accessible um, to individuals and communities of color. Uh, you know, 2% of venture capital right now goes to, uh, doesn't, or only goes to those communities right now. And so in Dallas-Fort Worth, you know, we're looking at, you know, out of all the private equity firms and venture capital firms and angel investors, you know, how many of them in the industry, you know, are a person of color? Um, because, you know, as we have more representation in the venture capital world, you'll see more investments um, in entrepreneurs of color who are typically um, underrepresented or underserved. So, okay. And so, and so let's, let's dig a little deeper into venture capital, just for, for those who don't know, what is venture capital? What is venture capital? Yeah. So venture capital um, is really, so I like to equate it um, to buying a house um, from a private seller, right. Or getting a financing from a, a private seller versus going to a traditional bank. So if you think about it in a way of, you know, when you go through, uh, you get financing to buy a home from a bank, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I won't say hurdles, but a lot of stipulations that you have to have, right? Sometimes when you go to a private owner, they're a little bit more um, relaxed on the access, right, um, to getting that capital. And so venture capital is a, is a financing opportunity for, you know, wealthy individuals or individuals who raise capital to invest, particularly in businesses um, that have a goal of exiting um, or a goal of, um, um, you know, selling at the end or at the life of that, that business or at its highest valuation. And so it's a little bit different than your traditional like uh, lending institution. So, um, you know, venture capitalists make equity, um, stakes or take equity stakes in companies, meaning, meaning ownership versus a bank who might take, uh, you know, a loan position um, with the company or alongside a company with debt that has to be paid back. Now with venture capital, you know, you're buying a piece of that business. So that, as, so that means that as the business does well, so will you as the investor. Okay. And, and let's talk about startup because I've heard a few folks that have tried to do startups in Dallas and mm -hmm. they're like, man, it's, it's super hard to raise money for a startup in, in Texas. Uh, is, is that the case and why is it? Um, <laughs> why is it hard to raise venture capital? Man, that's, that's a, how long you have for that question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, I mean, I think for the majority part, if you look at the industry itself and you look at the, uh, you know, the industry itself within Texas, right? Um, Texas is a very, um, uh, you know, oil, real estate um, friendly um, uh, market. And so when you look at tech entrepreneurship and, and raising capital for tech entrepreneurship, uh, we really run into two different market challenges, right? There's a challenge for the investors who don't quite understand how technology works from a business model standpoint, because it, it, it's not as um, practical um, of, a, of, a, uh, you know, of a typical startup lifestyle journey. Like when Uber came, you know, no one thought, you know, people were literally like, you're gonna put a stranger in the back of your car, you know, versus a, a, a practical, you build a home, you find the family, they live in it, right? And so just, just the sheer imagination and creativity that comes with technology from an investor standpoint, it seems very risky, right? And so with that risk, you have the apprehension in uh, wanting to invest dollars, you know, in those companies or in those ventures. Um, so I'll say on, on one end, you have that market challenge with the investors, right? Them understanding the capabilities of technology, because that's still pretty new. Um, you know, seeing that, you know, Apple probably in the last 10 years became one of the, the largest, uh, or one of the most household name brands, right, within the last 10 years. So if you think about how rapidly technology has changed, um, you know, the market to keep up with that doesn't actually, you know, accelerate at the same rate. And so investors are trying to catch up to the market. But then on the other hand, you have entrepreneurs who are um, really trying to understand the life cycle and the startup, you know, phase and how many different business models out there. You have SaaS, you have B2C, you have B2B um, type companies that, you know, they're looking at how do we figure this thing out? You know, how do we scale? How do we continue to hire the right staff? How do we stay lean um, so that that valuation in the company um, and, and the revenue that comes in the company stays attractable, attractive to investors? Um, so you have the market challenge where, you know, the companies are in, in Texas um, are not exactly ready um, to receive capital um, because they might not have the tools, the resources, the knowledge, the mentorship, the you know, the know-how to build that startup. And then you have the challenge with the investors, right? And so for someone trying to raise capital, um, you have this question, you know, that I ask myself a lot is, you know, is it, is it the chicken or the egg? Which one comes first, right? Do you go get the capital, right? And then the entrepreneurs will come or do you go find and develop the entrepreneurs then go find the capital? Um, both can be arguably correct. It really just depends on your perspective. No, that, make, that makes sense. And so through, through our conversations, what, what I've learned is the biggest expense in a tech company is labor, right? Coders, uh, finding qualified coders. And so I'd imagine, like, how does, how does Texas stack up to having good schools that are producing um, people that can code? Is, is SMU and TCU or, or places that we have here catching up or how, how was that? So from my perspective, um, you know, I, I work a lot with the, um, the Dallas Regional Chamber and they uh, recently put out an innovation um, guide that talked about, you know, from a, a regional standpoint, what we need, right? Right now, Dallas doesn't have a tier one, you know, university, research university. So if you look at where all the tech um, is developed, you know, Silicon Valley, right? Um, you know, New York, LA, a lot of the larger markets, you also look at where those companies and where those entrepreneurs are coming from. So if you look at the venture capital space, um, as well as the entrepreneur space, you'll see that 
most of the the high growth companies that we we know and love today if you look at the investor profile and you look at the entrepreneur profile they're literally coming from like five schools right stanford mit um duke um like all of the i you know harvard you know um so you think about the talent you know in these companies they're all coming from a few select schools so it's tough to have that level of talent in a place like, you know, Texas or, or, or North Texas um, when you don't have that talent pipeline um, coming out of the universities. Now I'll say that the region from a standpoint, you know, from my point of view has taken on a position of investing in programs and you have, you know, you have the um, Blackstone um, uh, launch program that's at UTD uh, uh, University of Texas at Dallas. Um, you also have uh, a number of programs, you know, the deck launched um, the expansion to, um, you know, both Paul Quinn and uh, UNT Dallas um, to where you see that, you know, and of course of the work that we do, you know, with those universities as well. So you see a lot of educational programs that are starting to focus on this younger generation um, because those are the, those, that's where the talent, those are when the ideas, that's where the, the business is being kind of accelerated and pushed to. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a number of challenges with that that comes with that because, like you said, if, if, the, if, if the highest um, cost within these tech startups, because they don't have inventory, right, or the labor itself, um, that labor, if it's coming from a premium school or, or a talent, you know, pipeline, um, it's going to have a dollar, a higher dollar or higher cost associated with getting that talent, right? And so, yeah, that, I would say you know, if we can continue to build that education pipeline um, and develop programs and, um, and all, all overall awareness, you know, we just hosted um, an event this past weekend, um, actually two weeks ago at the Dallas Women's Museum with uh, Hack DFW, uh, where over 600 students, professionals um, from all over, you know, from North Texas, as well as other schools, Houston, Colorado, um, as well, that, um, that, you know, literally gathered to build um, and showcase their tech talent. Um, we had a, a challenge that we hosted uh, during the conference or during the hackathon um, that, uh, you know, we had these how might we statements and it was how might we use technology to, to um, um, improve social and economic mobility uh, within North Texas. We had 10 teams compete in our challenge. Um, and there were some really, really, really dynamic ideas. I mean, there were some high school students that were des designing things that I was like, my mind was literally blown um, <laughs> with the projects they were creating from, you know, virtual reality banking systems to, um, uh, you know, Acorn style investing platform that, that relied on um, language processing. Um, so basically they would take a company, uh, a keyword like Apple, uh, and they would do, uh, you know, basically analysis across um, all different media platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and from that, it will tell you uh, which companies you should invest in based on, you know, how often these companies talk to them or talked about those companies. The, the media platforms talked about those companies. Um, and then they would invest um, a percentage of the gains um, into charities. Right. So if you invested a thousand dollars and then you, you gain, you know, five dollars, that five dollars would go to charity. So. Yeah, and, and and to follow up because I mean we've had we've had conversations offline about my thoughts about how quote unquote smart a lot of these venture capital people are, and I, and I use an analogy right. So so in the finance world, if you went to a Wharton or a Columbia and then you start a hedge fund, 
you can raise a lot of money, right, and get rich. But, um, you know, I learned how to invest from a small boutique firm um, out in uh, uh, Richardson. You know, we managed $100 million. And then, and then through self-teaching, through Warren Buffett, and, and I meet some of these people, and I'm like, man, these dudes are not that smart. Like, when you understand how to manage money, and then you listen to what they say, you're like, these guys are actually not that smart. Like, they just got the right pedigree. They invested money. Their returns are, um, you know, I don't know, okay. They just had the resources to raise a big fund, charge 2%, 20% of the profits, right. and you're rich. But they're not, they're not that smart. But then you got the network effect of them now being rich and sharing money amongst each other, and they look super duper smart. And that's, you know, I don't want to take anything away from, you know, anybody, but that's kind of what I feel about Silicon Valley. Because if you think about all the companies that are super mega big, Facebook, the Uber, the Google, they all got the same investors. They're all from the same clique. And, yep. you know, from the, and, and like you said, it's all from the same, uh, from the same schools. And so um, I, I'm saying all that to say, um, I'm super bullish on, on the future of tech, even in DFW, because it's not that they got better brains over there or, right. even, or even that the college makes the better brains. Learning how to code is not hard. Like there's all kinds of really good programs that can teach you how it's to the code. the resources, right. Yeah. And so, you know, so my deal is we just got to figure out how to get some money behind it because Silicon Valley had a lot of dumb money for a long time that was able to um, flow through the system and build the infrastructure. We just need to, um, you know, we're going to have to do more or less because we're not going to get the dumb money for as long as they did. But um, I think I think figuring out a way to get the money to back the well, talent. I think so. I'd say I agree definitely on the the you know the notion that you know uh, capital begets capital, right? And that you know these investors are you know it's the good old boys club, right? Um, they're all sitting smoking cigars there together, saying, "Hey, I invest in this. You want in? You know, <laughs> <laughs> saying you want in on this, right?" Uh, and that's kind of how the the game goes. But at the same time, Dallas Fort Worth has the same amount of, if not more, of capital. So mm -hmm. we're talking about the resources, um, you know, capital is like the oxygen, right? You, you got the, the business that, you know, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the fire, right? <laughs> that you started, but the, but the, the gasoline that you pour on it, that's what capital does. Right. And so none of these, none of these companies, you know, in Silicon Valley could scale the way they did without that pouring on the, of the capital. Right. Mm -hmm. And so having a, a place like Dallas Fort Worth, it's going on right now, but as you see, it, it's in it's in real estate. So it, it, if you can if you can uh, portray our our technology in Dallas as real estate, like it's like hey, you want in on this? I got this real estate project <laughs> going. You know, you want to right, right, same right. thing, right? And if you see who's investing in these different properties, these different you know mega, uh, you know, Mark Cuban has a project you know right outside these doors, the Epic um, mm -hmm. place over here in Deep Ellum, uh, you know. It, Literally, it's the same. It's the same objective, right? And so, I think the objective and the mission, you know, that I think you have as well, as well as as I have, is how do we actually get a seat at the table? And when it comes to those deals, um, when it comes to those deals to invest in, and and to those deals to be able to receive the capital, right? I think that's our mission and our goal in this whole ecosystem or in this whole, you know, um, a conversation is that how do we make those opportunities accessible um, for people who historically have been excluded from those opportunities, right? Um, what's crazy about Dallas-Fort Worth is that even though it's a majority minority city, 
the wealth divide um, exponentially is, is continuing to, um, um, to grow over time, which is crazy, right? It's like, how does the wealth gap continue to grow over time, but yet the population is actually inversely related, right? So there's actually more minorities here and a smaller portion of, of, um, of what you would say, what you would call white or, or Caucasian um, individuals, but they have the majority of the wealth. You know, they own the majority of the land, right? Why is that, right? We know historically these practices of redlining and things like that have given them a, a, a head start. I think the last time I looked, it was like the average black family would take 228 years to catch up from an asset, from a generational wealth standpoint to the average white family, right? Um, so I think our goal in this is to say, how do we actually um, get a seat at the table, get included in the, in the process, um, and get access to those opportunities for our communities and our families to also create generational wealth. So, so what's, what's your feel for what, you know, um, for, for what could be done to close? Because, by the way, the gap will never be closed in funding, right? Uh, right. But, but, like, what, you know, what's your recommendation for young entrepreneurs trying to raise money uh, that are minority? Ooh. You know, Recommendation for young entrepreneurs want to raise money. I would say, and let me let me phrase it a different way. Not even recommendation, but like, what are you doing on your mission to help? Because your mission is closing the gap, right? Right. So, so, so how how do you close, how do we close the gap? So I think it starts with education, right? Um, the nonprofit, you know, the work that Impact House does and, and that is gearing up to do. Um, literally, when I when I started this back in 2016. Not it, this, you have to realize that in 2016 is when we started. The startup community in Dallas really didn't even launch or wasn't even a thing until 2012, 2013, right? So if you think about like when we launched 2016, like four, literally like three or four years, you know? So the startup community as a whole in Dallas is relatively young, right? Compared to other places like Silicon Valley, right? Mm -hmm. um, so knowing that, and then also knowing that our community lacks kind of like the basic fundamental knowledge of traditional, you know, business per se, um, on top of that, having more something complex like, you know, tech startup that doesn't actually have a, a blueprint to every single business, you know, for tech startup, right? You want to franchise a McDonald's, there's a manual for that, you know? Right. How do you build Uber if there's no Uber out there to compare <laughs> it to? You know what I mean? There's no manual, right? And so for us, the education is the biggest piece. Uh, and that education can come in the forms of our training and workshops um, that we're going to be starting here. Uh, actually, the first, I'm sorry, the third Saturday um, of every month, we'll be uh, kicking off our intro to tech uh, workshops that'll be teaching people the different elements of the life cycle and the startup cycle, um, as well as our 12-week um, our accelerator program that's going to launch uh, next year. We're gearing up for that as well. So education, man, is, is, is where you start. And really education, you know, specifically to the funding piece is, you know, I've had a number of entrepreneurs who I've sat down with and they said, hey, this person offered me $30,000 and wants 20% of my company. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, because they don't know. And, you know, to us, if somebody's, you know, if somebody walked in and said, I got $30,000 cash, right? You want it? Take 20% equity in my company. If your company is worth $2 million, right, and you just gave up 25, 30% of that for 
for thirty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars because that's a lot of money to us when you realize in 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 the startup game and in the startup landscape thirty thousand dollars is not even pre-seed right you know that's family that's friends and family right you know to to a harvard graduate right <laughs> to you know to a yale graduate you can get thirty thousand dollars from from uncle you know uncle sam right, right? so uh, the education specifically on, you know, the financing piece is, is key, is paramount, and especially on, you know, not only the finance amount, but the, the um, compliance and the legal side of it, right? How do you protect yourself? How do you protect your intellectual property? We're one of the most creative, innovative cultures out there. Everything that we create, right, turns to gold that somebody else benefits from, you know, monetarily, right? So how do you protect ourselves from the ideas, the creativity, the 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 problems that we're solving um, that end up on the end of the on, at the end of the day impacting us on you know on the on the other end, right? And so how are you protecting that intellectual property and those ideas legally? You know how are you structuring the company to where as it grows, you actually have the room to grow and you don't have to redo your whole you know structure your company because you started off as a sole proprietorship, right? And now you're trying to invest money and they're looking like how am I going to invest in a, in a sole, you know what I mean? Right. How do right. I invest in that, right. So those educational components um, are key um, before you even start having conversations with sitting down with a, with a VC firm or things like that. I actually went to a, uh, a, a um, access to capital event um, uh, actually just yesterday, last night um, that was put on by uh, legacy Texas. And they had a, a lot of the uh, micro lenders that came. Right. And there's this myth um, in the startup community that traditional um, uh, micro lenders and things like that can't support tech entrepreneurs, right? And if you look at it, you know, <laughs> in that friend, friendly, and, friendly and friends round, what you, what you see a lot from, uh, you know, black and brown founders is that we give up equity in spaces where that should be friends and family round capital, you know, or they need working capital, right? For, to build a product, right? or to um, hire a staff person, right? There's other avenues that you could be looking at that don't involve venture capital, right? There's, you know, there's opportunities from, from um, you know, equity injection type loans, right? Where you put in a certain equity and they give you a certain amount in, in, um, in uh, working capital, right? Um, typically they give you a percentage of your, you know, your gross you know, revenue or gross income for working capital that can get you that, you know, that run rate or that run time to be able to make a couple sales or gain a, a couple more contracts, you know, for your SaaS business versus saying, let me go dilute, you know, my cap table by going and asking for money when I don't need to right now. Right. Um, and so there, it's a balance. Um, but I think for right now, you know, like you said, education is the number one thing, you know, before you even get to anything else in, so no, but yeah. I, so we'll move to the last part of the round where I ask the five questions that I ask everybody. Um, if you can go back and talk to twenty-two year old um, Jay, you know what? What would you what would you tell him? Oh, uh, that's a tough question for me because it took me a it took me a while to find this the space that I'm in right now. I I, I truly believe that the space I'm in right now is the space that I'm meant to be in. Um, this intersection between um, creativity, you know, entrepreneurship, which is problem solving, um, social impact, which I care deeply about, um, impacting the lives of people, 
Um, and it took me a while to find that, like, what is my thing? You know what I mean? Like I dabbled in, you know, civic engagement, created movements around that. You know, like I said, I've always been a person who created things from scratch um, and was able to uh, build a coalition around people who wanted to achieve that same goal. Right. So did things around um, entrepreneurship. So I, I led an organization, Dallas Black Professional Social Network, uh, for three and a half years um, that really cultivated a lot of those talents. And so even though I say find that one thing, uh, which is actually a book um, uh, that, I, that I read that talked about that, uh, find, finding that one thing as quickly as possible. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, as my, um, my uh, mentors used to say growing up, in your 20s, like they call your 20s your trying 20s. Right. <laughs> that, that's the time in your life where you're supposed to try things. You're supposed to look like you're, you know, all over the place. You're supposed to look like you're trying, doing everything. You're trying to, you know, you're running out a hundred miles per hour. Um, and so for me at being at th 31 right now, I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. You know, my twenties, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my, my, my early twenties, you know, from uh, going through college, graduating college. Right. I've been an athlete ever since the second grade, you know, and I think a lot of times for our community, we don't realize how much we emphasize sports um, over everything else to where once those, um, those kids grow to be you know, adults, they don't realize that they never really had a passion for anything else or they, they have a hard time finding that passion for other things outside of sports, right? And so my first year that I moved to Dallas, I literally sat on the couch every weekend because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. I literally was like, Okay, from the second grade, I've been told this is the time that you need to go to study hall. This is the time you need to go to football practice. This is the time you go to uh, weightlifting. This is, a, you know, oh, season change. Now we're in track season. Oh, season change. Now we're in basketball season. Oh, now we're in basketball camp for the summer. You know what I mean? Like I've always been on this regimen schedule that I, I never had an opportunity to stop and say, what do I really love? What do mm -hmm. I really want to do? And what you'll find is you'll go back to those roots. And this is why, you know, for me, family is so important because you can go back to your ancestors. You can go back to the people who came before you and say, okay, what, are, what, what's the generational seeds that I'm carrying from them? You know, mm -hmm. what, what's that fine, that silver lining, that consistency that you see across everybody in my family. Right. And if you can, if you can start there, you can start developing, okay, where's my place in life? And how, how do me as, how do I as an individual build upon what people before me have built, right? And so I would say try as much as you, you know, I would tell myself, keep trying, keep trying. But I would say, even when you're trying, recognize when the lesson, when, when the lesson is there. Because I think sometimes we, we try, we fail, and then we're like, mm, I wasn't sure I got the answer right. Let me try it again, right? And so we keep trying and we keep trying and not, actually like recognizing the signals that we're getting that says that says no you should pivot this isn't your thing right um and so recognizing those times uh of those feelings when it is to pivot as quickly as you can so that you can get to that one thing and so in doing that i think you'll find that as you find that one thing you'll see your trajectory start to go here instead of going you know instead of being spread across all these things um being busy doing nothing you know, you'll see that um, you'll find that one thing that takes you high. And I think for me, I've always been the money guy. Every time someone wants to host an event, everyone, someone wants to put on, so I'm always the guy who's tracking the finances or raising the finances or, you know, 
Um, so for me, I know that I'm meant to be attached to money, right? Um, and also having this deep passion and, and, and care for, for people, um, impact investing is like the perfect balance of the two for me. You know, it's like, how do you invest in things that um, both make money and also improve the world at the same time? So. Cool, cool. If you can travel, I'm sorry, I asked that one. What are your top three favorite brands? So these are things that you spend spend money on and you're happy to spend money on and you, you know, you just, and it could be whatever, like groceries, shoes. Brands, woo, uh, man. Um, does, uh, does Golden Chick? Um, hey, that's a brand. That's a brand. <laughs> does, that, does that count as a brand? <laughs> that, that is a brand. I, I'm, not, I'm not really much of a, um, you know, a retail consumer, you know, brand guy, but, you know, I eat a lot. I would say that, especially after, you know, not being an athlete anymore. <laughs> I need to watch a lot of that. But yeah, man, I, I would say, you know, brand wise, um, I would say here's my top, my favorite companies out there right now. Um, I love what Harlem Capital is doing. Um, four brothers out of, uh, out of Harlem Capital, out of Harlem, uh, New York. Uh, they started a, a VC firm. And something that in a space that, like you said, we, we, we have no representation in. Um, I really love what they're doing uh, for the culture out there. Um, I really love uh, what Kapoor Capital is doing in the social impact investing space, um, especially with their, um, their niche and their thesis on how they invest. Um, and then the third one, I would say, um, man, I, I really admire out there. Man, I, I really admired, I would say Craig, Craig Lewis, man, and his mm -hmm. company Gig Wage. Um, and not because it's, no offense to you, uh, to Craig, to Craig, but because it's sexy, um, it's a sexy business because it's, it's, it's not, it's simple, right? It, it, it's payment processing, um, it's, it's onboarding independent contractors, right? But sometimes that simplicity is so valuable, right? To where people, they think in a tech company it has to be this like grandiose, super complex idea you know but sometimes it's just making solving a problem and making that problem easier and i think he's found a way to do that and and really talk about the problem that he's solving in a very like specific and targeted way that i think most entrepreneurs have not developed that level of clarity you know and even if him and even with him you know i i talked to him you know last night at the uh the hennessy black um uh, black excellence um, dinner that we were at. And it, and it even took him a while to figure out like, okay, what problem am I truly solving? Right. Um, and, and what pivots do I need to make to get to that? And then as you've seen that, you've seen him go basically up, mm -hmm. you know? And I think a lot of, for a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you don't, you don't see that, that focus and that clarity um at that level and you know I, I admire you know craig for his his ability to recognize that and and make the switch and watch his company not only grow um financially but you know just the impact of just how how focused he is right and i think as entrepreneurs as we you know develop what our value proposition is if we can get as clear and as focused as targeted on what that is i think you weed out you know all the other all the people all the the the, the competitors you weed out um you know all the, the the clients and customers that you think might be interested in your product 
Uh, and so I really admire his, his brand and his company, you know, right now locally. So. Got it. Okay. What, what do you read, watch, or listen to to get your news and education? Oh, um, so right now I've been rereading a lot of books, um, that and I not, read. And not books. That's my fifth one. Just like, you know what I'm saying? When you're trying to get oh, okay. what's going on. Oh, when I want to see what's going on. Um, man, uh, Blavity has been a huge, um, you know, uh, source of news for me um, with the Afrotech community. Uh, a lot of things that's going on specifically in the black tech community overall, uh, they are typically the, you know, one of the go-to sources for, for, um, for black and technology. Um, obviously, I use my Google Alerts, um, if you've ever used those. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have my, my, you know, VC deals. I have my black and tech, like I have that. So, you know, every morning I get my notification, you know, I click on them to read different articles that come up um, using my Google alerts. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, between that and, you know, kind of looking at, I think I have on my phone um, a podcast that I listen to. Um, there's a, the 20 minute VC um, I like to listen to Masters of Scale. Um, that's with Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, listen to a lot of B- uh, Bishop Jake's sermons. Um, he is a phenomenal, um, you know, preacher, but he's also a phenomenal businessman as well. Um, and I think even the way he delivers, um, he delivers his sermon, it always has this like entrepreneurial spin on it. Um, to it. And so he's definitely someone who I listen to a lot as well from his podcast to, you know, his different sermons. He has one that's my favorite that I always go back to whenever I'm in a challenge is um, uh, what is it, the title of it? It's the uh, Hatching Greatness is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And he, he's talking about how when, a, when an eagle is, is hatching from an egg and how it, it, it develops this egg tooth um, to be able to get out of the egg. And he talks about that process of hatching, you know, of developing and coming into your own. And it, it's definitely a powerful sermon that you can use from a spiritual standpoint, as well as from a business uh, and personal professional development standpoint. All right. Well, what are the top three books you've read? Uh, and it, it's all time or recently. Um, so one book that really transformed how I thought about leadership, especially from a person who, you know, uh, came to Dallas, you know, in, in 2012, you know, didn't know anybody. Um, I read a book called The Leader Without a Title. Um, it really allowed me to be comfortable in knowing that you can still be a leader in your space, you know, with not being like CEO or head person, you know what I mean? A, a lot of times people have this complex that, because they have a title, it makes them a leader, right? But leadership is really based on value from my, from my perspective, not necessarily success, right? Because you can be successful and not offer any value. I mean, look at Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can say he was a successful businessman. You could probably look at his numbers and say that he wasn't, but you can argue that he was a successful businessman, but what value has he, add, has he contributed to the world, right? He was no, he was, he was just somebody who had capital, who had a family with capital and hired people, you know, to, to do the work for him. Right. Does that make him valuable? No. Um, and so that one for leadership, definitely, um, for business, uh, good to great is a book that I, um, that 
really sticks out in my mind from a business perspective because it really provided real life examples and case studies of companies that literally went from this is the problem and the challenges that we're facing. This is how it related to the, the greater landscape. Um, and this is the, the, the steps they took to go from good to great. Um, and then another book I would probably recommend mm, from a venture capital standpoint is called Venture Deals. Uh, venture Deals is a great book, um, not just for you know, aspiring VCs, but for entrepreneurs as well. Um, it really breaks down the fundamentals of, of venture capital from how a fund are typically structured to negotiating um, tactics to what is a cap table to, you know, it really breaks down the ins and outs of, uh, of, you know, venture capital. So those are, I would say those are my, my top three books. Well, cool, man. Well, I, I appreciate the education and the information. It's, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been good. Uh, we'll have to do it again one day. Definitely, man. I, I definitely enjoy being on the show and just having these, you know, we have these conversations all the time, every time, you know, we've just, <laughs> just chopping it up before. And so it's definitely good to, to come on and, and talk about this. So I definitely want to want to continue these conversations, man. And, and, and maybe even, you know, put together a bigger group, you know, of black men to start having these conversations um, of how do we, how do we get involved in the game? You know, how do we um, improve our, you know, our well-being for our families for generational wealth. So yeah. absolutely. Information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make any offers or solicitation for any investment advice and investments and investment strategies, purchasing any businesses. You need to seek with your own advisors, tax professionals, or anyone uh, that you work with uh, before you uh, implement any of these ideas or strategies discussed. Enjoy your day.